$4.3 million. That was yesterday's record-breaking virtual land acquisition deal in the metaverse. Mezcal. That's the key ingredient in today's meta-hour cocktail. What do those two things have in common? Nothing at all, except it means it's time for another episode of Meta Hour in the Metaverse. Welcome back to another episode of Meta Hour in the Metaverse, a weekly podcast covering news and events surrounding the metaverse, crypto, entertainment, and more. And of course, always ending with a Meta Hour cocktail you can make for your next Meta Hour. It has been a big week in the metaverse, and we have a pretty solid episode today covering some of the bigger topics. First, we'll be looking at the Sandbox, which is a new metaverse similar to Decentraland that launched to the public this week. Then, related to the Sandbox, we'll be covering the big virtual land buys, last week's record breaker deal, and then this week's record record breaker deal, followed up by how Bill Maher got it all wrong on Friday, and concluding with our Meta Hour cocktail, the Jalapeno Mezcal Metarita. One of my personal favorites. Definitely want to stick around to hear that. If you like the spice, uh, this is the cocktail that is going to win you over. The Sandbox, a new metaverse, if you haven't heard of them, had their initial public alpha launch this week. It is a pretty big deal considering they've been in development for four years now. Um, We will see how that pays off, but just kind of the quick and dirty, they are a multiverse, multiplayer metaverse that looks to be focused mostly on gaming, collecting of NFTs. Um, You can play to earn their coin. So play to earn is kind of a... um, a mechanic they use right now to get people involved in generating buzz and players into the scene. They've released the ability to set up your own avatar, start exploring a limited selection of the Sandbox's decentralized worlds. The Sandbox looks a lot like a souped-up Minecraft. The characters and art are block-style, but have a lot more detail and animation elements to them. Personally. Minecraft has such a dominance on block-looking characters, it seems an odd choice for them to follow a similar look and feels like it could get dated pretty quickly. Unlike Decentraland, which you can play from a web browser, the Sandbox requires downloading an application that you run on your computer, currently only Windows computers. Visually, the Sandbox is prettier and looks more video game-like versus Decentraland, which looks a bit antiquated but feels more VR-like. I would say Decentraland, you feel more like a person in a space, even if the graphics don't, you know, match that. Where the Sandbox, you definitely feel like a video game character running around. Similar to Decentraland, the Sandbox offers land for purchase that can be developed into storefronts, personal hangout spots, event locations, whatever you want to do with it. They also offer the ability to build quest-type games for visitors to the world to play and engage in. This is, I think, a big driving part of the sandbox to separate it from simply being a game that you can run around in. They want people to come in, build a uh, creator uh, world where games can be constructed. You can invite your friends to play. Then they come in, join up, um, and that's how they're looking to expand. 
and generate an economy where you can purchase access to these games or the necessary equipment you need to play them through NFTs. Part of the Sandbox's big launch is that they have partnered with Snoop Dogg and built him what they are calling the Snoopverse, of course. In his little plot of the Sandbox, they have recreated his real-life mansion for players to explore, as well as created thousands of NFT art, cars, items for people to buy. Currently, you need an early access pass to get entry. The basic pass is 529 SAND tokens. That's their in-house currency, which is built on Ethereum, which equates to about $3,300. So far, only about 300 of those have been sold out of a total supply of 5,000. But wait, there's more. If you are a serious Snoop Dogg fan, you can acquire a Snoop Private Party Access Pass, which is limited to 1,000 holders. This gives you entry to the Snoopverse, plus an invitation to his private metaverse party and some other things. They are being auctioned only on OpenSea, an NFT marketplace, for about 1.5 ETH or $6,700. And surprisingly, well, I mean, nothing's really surprising these days, there are over 500 owners of those passes, which sold over the course of the last month or so, generating over $3 million in Ethereum. Now, you may be scratching your head and wondering what all this means, or why would someone pay thousands of dollars to get entry to a digital world that isn't even fully built out yet, that's in its alpha stage. Because this early pass gives owners access to Snoop's content, I imagine most of these party pass owners are hoping to flip whatever swag, aka NFTs, they get from Snoop and recoup the cost of their party pass. But you also have to remember that a lot of people collected a significant amount of crypto coins very early in development, and dropping one or two to be the first to access these emerging technologies is a drop in the bucket to them. There has been mixed reviews so far of the sandbox. Some are really enjoying running around, exploring the spaces, playing the games, checking out the NFTs, but many are saying that because of the long development cycle, it's already dated itself in what's going to be the most ultra-competitive metaverse marketplace coming up in the next few years. While the Sandbox may have the benefit of being one of the first to market, uh, given they have been developing this for four years, the ideas of what should be expected in the metaverse changes daily, and that four-year development cycle might put them at a slight disadvantage if they're not incorporating expectations of today into tomorrow. There have been some major virtual land purchases. It's only been a week and we've seen the record-breaking land deal size broken twice. Last week, there was news of a record deal of virtual land being purchased for $2.43 million. And of course, as things move quickly this week, that record was broken again with a virtual land purchase of $4.3 million. Last week's $2.4 million deal was made by Metaverse Group purchasing an allotment of space in the fashion district of Decentraland. Specifically, Metaverse Group bought 116 parcels of space, which is the equivalent to 6,000 square feet of space in Decentraland. Metaverse Group plans to use the space to expand into the digital fashion industry, likely setting up virtual retail stores for NFTs and getting ahead of the soon-to-explode real-life fashion NFT tagging thanks to Nike's leap into the NFT space. Then a few days later, the record was broken again when Republic Realm purchased $4.3 million worth of virtual land from video game maker Atari. 
This time the land was located in the sandbox, which we just discussed, and most likely because they opened their doors to the public this week. A year or so ago, Atari partnered with the sandbox to set up Atari Land, a world within the sandbox metaverse to offer Atari games and experiences to players. Republic Realm is a digital asset and land investment firm. According to their website, they manage a diversified portfolio of digital real estate NFTs across many metaverses, developing parcels of land to enhance value and foster community building. So basically, they buy plots and will likely find retailers to match those plots or hold on to them and hope that in a short period of time, they can flip them for much more, much like a real real estate developer does today. That's the part that's fascinating. The mechanics of developing real estate in the metaverse really work the same as in real life. The value of the location is going to be based on surrounding comps. Then whoever owns that plot can rent it out, find a project to develop on, or simply resell it as a land deal. Then ancillary people who make money in the middle are usually the banks and the brokers who foster the deals. We're almost definitely going to find a middle ground of lenders, brokers, real estate agents, anyone who can transact between the buyer and the seller, creating a whole entire new economy within the metaverse. All in all this week, there has been over $100 million total in land grabs across multiple metaverse platforms. It might sound ridiculous to buy virtual land for high dollar amounts, as it doesn't really fall into the same limited supply issues like real land. Anyone can just keep creating it, really. But people who do access the metaverse will tend to congregate at popular points where, for instance, well-known performers are headlining a concert and businesses who hope to sell virtual goods or market their brands will benefit from being visibly closer to those central locations. Right now, you can quickly jump from location to location by simply entering map coordinates. So being close to a hype spot may not matter as much because you can easily jump in and out of those locations. But that could all change when the worlds expand or other companies set up different rules for traveling within their metaverse. So having a central location with offshoots of areas you have to travel through really does offer some utility over buying a parcel of land far away from everything else. If we look at the real-life geolocation-based AR mapping like Niantic is creating, which we discussed last episode, all because someone owns the physical location where the geo-coordinate maps will be doesn't mean that they own the virtual overlay that only you or a player can access via a connected device. Imagine you go to Rockefeller Center to go ice skating. You would be prohibited, of course, from setting up adverts all over the ice rink promoting your own project or hosting a dance party on the ice. But with the Metaverse AR world, whomever controls the meta overlay could lease those coordinates to the highest bidder, and when you physically enter the ice rink, you would see a virtual overlay event, and all the paid advertising to go with it, no doubt. That's occurring within the Metaverse, that someone other than Rockefeller Center owns the rights to. And because it's digital, you can pack as many people as you want in, and the software can simply limit the number of people you see so to avoid 100,000 avatars all piled up and on top of each other in a limited space. The software can filter for your specific view, just a small subsample to make navigating the space more manageable. It's really endless with all that's possible. And brands know this is going to be an immense opportunity to market themselves in places they could never before. 
branding is going to be one of the main market drivers to money and thus people flooding into these worlds. We'll look at that in more detail next week. I think branding deserves almost an entire episode all to itself. Last week on Real Time with Bill Maher, he had his closing segment around the metaverse. But I was surprised at how negative it was. And not just negative, but also filled with fear. Fear that is steamed in the unknown. I understand not everyone will embrace this whole new world of technology, and I'm not a blind metaverse supporter. But Bill Maher's view was short-sighted and likely shared by others. In a nutshell, his view was that A, the metaverse is only being driven by Facebook, which ironically he is actually pandering into Facebook's aggressive branding and marketing plan to associate everyone to the term meta and metaverse to Facebook, which obviously is not true. We know there are other metaverses out there and many more coming. And B, that the development of all these metaverses will lead to a more disjointed society, which is possible. But he then takes it a step farther to say, and thus it will lead to more men being ostracized, which in turn will create more aggressive subpopulation of men who aren't, quote, having enough sex. Hmm. If we look past his point about guys needing to get out there and have more sex, and just look at people, men and women both, needing yet another reason to avoid public interaction, I can kind of see what he's getting at. But at the same time, what about the people who are already too shy to go out in public? There are a lot of people who have a hard time interacting, and now they suddenly have a lot more freedom from embarrassment to engage in social groups. The fact that they're doing it only virtually isn't maybe the best for physical interaction, but they're getting a chance to go out, walk up to someone in public, strike up a conversation, and not really worry about the repercussions that you might worry about doing it in person. And interacting virtually opens up more lines of confidence, even if it's not real life. And practice makes perfect, So in theory, interacting in the virtual world might actually benefit those who find it hard to do in the real world. And even if we assume Bill is right and the metaverse is going to be a massive societal downfall, we can't just say, let's not do this, and pretend that society is not already on a direct collision course with fully immersive VR. It's inevitable. It's going to start with an AR metaverse and then become fully immersive metaverses. So why not embrace it and get a head start on training people and kids how to manage it, how to interact with it, how to be safe, how not to be a bully and antagonize others? You know, I I tend to agree with Bill on his more cynical view of the world. He tends to think outside the politically left and right and just look at the basic truths. But it was really surprising to hear him go off on how we need to stop this from happening, as if we can, as if somehow Facebook is really the ones in charge of it all. I'm actually not one to overly hype and glorify tech, even though I've worked on it for so long. My daughter doesn't have a phone, nor does she watch TV during the week or spend practically any time on a screen. I am totally aware of what screen time, social media, and all these emerging technologies can do to children when it's not regulated. Bill, if you're listening, watch that last segment again and see if you find yourself preaching a fear of the new and the unknown and maybe look at how the future of social interactions can have an immense positive on the world as well. After all that news dump, I think we are ready for our Meta Hour cocktail. Today, it is the Jalapeno Mezcal Meta Rita. 
This is a personal favorite of mine and one where I've been testing different ratios of mezcals and sugar and lime juice to manage heat and flavor. If you like the margarita and you like spice, I guarantee you're going to love the Meterita. This one starts with choosing the right mezcal. I've honestly never been that much of a fan of mezcal in the past because of the smoke flavor, which is ironic because I actually do a fair amount of barbecue smoking of meat. It wasn't until I started to mix jalapeno into mezcal that I started to really appreciate and crave that smoky flavor. The fun of this cocktail is you can cater to flavors that match what you like most by blending a less smoky mezcal or even a clean and clear tequila to adjust not only the smoke, but also the spice level of the mezcal that I'm going to have you make. Because this recipe, you'll be making a seriously hot jalapeno mezcal base. The recipe is best started four days before you plan to drink it. However, you can do it the same day, which I'll cover shortly. To begin, you'll want to get a high-quality and smoke-forward mezcal. I highly suggest Il Silencio, which you can find at most grocery stores and liquor stores. It's a black bottle. And cocktail bars tend to have them too if you want to get acquainted with it at first. You'll also need a jalapeno and a mason jar. Start by adding 6 to 8 ounces of the mezcal to the mason jar. The drink calls for 2 ounces of mezcal in total, so you can judge how much you're going to need. I recommend at least 6 to 8 ounces to start with, as it keeps in the fridge for a long time, and you can always grab it when you need it, and not have to make it that same day. Slice the jalapeno up. You can leave the seeds and stems. Add the sliced jalapeno to the mason jar, give it a little spin to evenly distribute, seal it up, and put it in the fridge. The optimal time to extract the most heat I found is at least four days, after which you can strain the jalapeno slices out to stop the continued extraction of the spice. If you want to make this the same day, simply muddle the jalapeno into the mason jar of mezcal and let it sit while you prep the rest of the drink, then strain. Now you have your spicy mezcal. Try a taste. It should be very spicy, like lingers on your lips spicy. While you got that out, gather your other ingredients. You're going to need an ounce of fresh squeezed lime juice, three quarters of an ounce of Cointreau, about a quarter ounce of simple syrup, some lime wedges for garnish and for rimming, tahine for the rim, and if you want, some non-spiced mezcal for cutting back the flavor of the heat. Much like the Carpano from our Metahattan, the Cointreau in the Metarita is equally as important. Triple sec is too sour, and you want to rely upon your fresh lime juice to bring out the acidity, not the triple sec. First, start by ribbing a cocktail glass or a coupe glass with a wedge of lime and dredge in the tahine, or if you prefer, normal salt, or no salt if salt rims aren't your thing. In an ice-filled metal shaker, add two ounces of the infused jalapeno mezcal, then add the Cointreau, lime juice, and syrup. Stir briefly and then strain into an ice-filled cocktail glass. Add a wedge of lime to the rim and then a couple delicately thin cut slices of jalapeno. This is one of those drinks that literally makes my mouth water thinking about it. If you use the four-day infused mezcal, you will find this drink to deliver an abundance of heat. Maybe too much for most. If that's the case, you can adjust things from the start. Use half and half infused mezcal to non-infused mezcal to find your balance. You can also use a less smoky mezcal to cut the infused mezcal to reduce the spice and the smoke. Personally, I like to drink it as it is, which is why there's a tad more lime juice and a splash of simple syrup. 
These are dangerous because you can find yourself craving that spicy lime flavor and the second one goes down quicker than the first. And that is another episode of Meta Hour in the Metaverse. I hope you enjoy the Meta Read as much as I do. Maybe have one while watching this week's probably next largest virtual land grab. If you're enjoying the news, thoughts, and cocktails from the Meta Hour in the Metaverse, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We are currently on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Amazon slash Audible. Until next time, I'm Ben Stanley, wishing you a happy Meta Hour with your Meta Rita.